Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. Right, we're going to continue with uh, our study on the issue of the rapture. This is the sixth part so far. Dealing strictly from First Thessalonians chapter six, I mean chapter four, and uh, we're looking at fifteen sixteen. So again, the word said, "For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord." That they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the angel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We started looking at the issue of the dead in Christ last week. We've been able to consider those that fell asleep in Jesus. We've also dealt with the issue of those who are alive and remain. And so we start looking at those who are dead in Christ. And we try to explain to us in the last section that to be dead in Christ is not necessarily that you are buried in the cemetery. To be dead in Christ is, if I may use the word, the opposite of dead in sin, like we find in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, the Bible says, you were dead in sin and transpassing as it quickened. That simply means that sin was ruling and controlling your life. That's what it means to be dead in sin. And so when you are dead in Christ, it simply means Christ is controlling your life. That is not to say you are buried in the cemetery. You are not in the grave, but you are dead to the world. You are dead to the system of the world. So let's look at the scripture uh, to begin with. Um, let's just quickly look at Colossians 3. We'll read from verse number 1. Colossians 3. Well, first of all, let's start from... Uh, you look at Romans chapter 6 again. In Romans 6, you from verse 1 and 2, we try to explain that. The Bible says you are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. Reading Romans chapter 6 from verse 1 and 2. It says, you are dead to sin. How can we live any longer? Praise the Lord. Dead to sin. When you are dead to sin, it means you are dead in Christ. And I'll try to explain to you that the preposition in are the most important thing if you must understand what we are dealing with. Praise the Lord. And then when you look at the book of Colossians, you'll be able to see again clearly where the scripture tells you that, that's Colossians 3, reading from verse 1. It talks about, if you be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. If you be Reason together with Christ. Colossians 3, from verse 1 to 3. 
Praise the Lord. So these basically are the things we're looking at. Uh, the most critical scriptures that we need to examine to see, they are give a clear definition of what it means to be dead in Christ. Now, the perfect example that I would like to illustrate with graphically from the scriptures is the case of the 144,000. If you look at the book of Revelation chapter 14, if you read from verse 1 to 5, you'll be able to see how that the scriptures begin to talk to us about those who are with the Lamb of Mount Zion. And it talks about the 144,000 of Mount Zion with the Lamb. And there is something you need to understand about these people. Yeah, the 144,000 for instance with the Lamb actually speaks about the fullness of the first fruit company of God, the fullness of the first fruit company of God, you know, his creatures, you know, from amongst men, as it were. Um, the Bible made us to understand, if you take time to read that passage, first of all, understand this. If they are with the Lamb of Mount Zion, now Mount Zion, you know, Hebrew 12, 22 tells us, is the church of the living God. Bible says you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We knew my company of angels. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Is that okay? So the Mount Zion that we're looking at is not something in Palestine. It is basically the church itself, the church of the living God. Praise the Lord. And they're saying this Mount Zion will have 144,000. Sometimes people confuse this or think that it's dealing with arithmetical computation. And so you have 144,000 who reign with Christ. Now, but what this thing is describing actually is a group of people who have been redeemed from amongst men through the word of God. One of the major characteristics you find here is that the Bible says they have the names of the Father written in their forehead. That means they have the nature of God. They have the mind of God. They, they have the intelligence of God. In other words, they are no longer being controlled by the kind of mind. They are not being ruled and controlled by the spirit and the mind of God. That's what it means to have the name of God. The name of God, the nature of God. Now, there are 144. 144, like I said, it's not talking about uh, arithmetical computation. 1, 2, 3, now have 144,000. This is simply a multiple of 12. 12 is the number of the fullness of the kingdom of God. That is how you have 12 apostles. Right? You have 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. You have 12 tribe of Israel. The tree of life bear 12 manner of fruit in this season. It speaks of the fullness of the kingdom of God. So when you multiply 12 by 12, you have 144. Now 1,000 is God's number of his fullness as well. And so, you see scripture talking about a cattle on a thousand hill belongs to the Lord. That is not to say the remaining ones doesn't belong to God. Praise the Lord. So, it talks about the reign of God a thousand years. So you have to understand. Then again, the book of Psalm, it talks about the chariot of the Lord. A thousands and thousands and even thousands of angels. So, and then... You talks about Jew talking about coming with ten thousands 
of his sins. So he speaks of the fullness of God. That's what they mean by 144,000. It's not in arithmetical computation. Now, some of the things you need to find out among these people is that they're singing a new song. A new song. And this new song actually means the song of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb. Now, the song of the Lamb, I try to explain to you, is different from the song of Moses. Moses sang the song of deliverance, like you find in the book of Exodus chapter 15. Is that okay? When they crossed the Red Sea, and then brought out the song, and then Miriam and his people also took out the song to sing about the deliverance of the children of Israel from the Red Sea. So, the ministry of Moses basically is a ministry of deliverance from captivity. But here, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of redemption. So, the language of the redeemed is the language of redemption. That's what they mean. They are singing a new song with the song of the Lamb. So, you have the song of the Lamb and you have the song of Moses. Essentially, you find that when you take time to read, you find that they sing both songs together. They sang the song of deliverance and then they sang the song of redemption. Praise the living God. Are we together? All right. So, now, so this very song of redemption, that's what I'm talking about. For they have been redeemed from the earth. The Bible tells us now, this one for the 4,000 have been redeemed from the earth. What earth? It's not as if they are redeemed from the earth, like as if from the grave. But basically, they are redeemed from the Adamic nature. You see, First Corinthians 15, 49 says, If you born the image of the earth, you shall also bear the image of the heavenly you have the image of the heavenly now and that is why we are together with him now if you are together with him it simply means you must have this nature because the bible made us to understand this one of the four thousand they follow the lamb whatever he goes that simply means you have the nature and the character of christ you have to be as a lamb to be able to follow the lamb you have to be as a lamb to be able to be with the lamb you follow what i'm saying now very good so these are people who are redeemed from amongst men and the bible says these are they which were not defiled with women and that's also very interesting they were not defiled with women so we're not talking about people that sleep around with men or women or something now remember he said these are they were not defiled with women we're not talking about just some sisters who are defiled by something but women in the bible speaks of religious organization it speaks of churches that are outside of the church of Christ. That's what the Bible refers to the women. And so, if you take time to read again, for instance, now in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, you'll be able to read about the woman that was seated upon many waters. You remember that? Mystery Babylon. Good. So, women in the Bible speaks about churches. And so, like that Mystery Babylon in Revelation 17 speaks of the church that is having control and influence over kings and nations and if you look at verse 15 of revelation 17 verse 15 it tells you that that the sea which this woman is sitting on are nations and tongues and tribes and people it speaks about humanity so we're talking about a system that is controlling humanity so here we find that the bible says this particular people are not defiled by women that means they are not defiled by the system of religion or organizations or men for the bible said they are virgins that's why they are not defied they are not defied because they are and they are virgins what does it mean 
to be a virgin. That means they are consecrated, purified in their spirit, soul, and body, and they are single eye unto the mind of the Lord. So again, if you look at Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse two, you'll be able to see where Paul was writing, talking about you'll be able to come to the place where you are not defiled. And so Paul is saying, I want to present you as a chaste virgin unto the Lord. What that means is you'll be able to believe Christ exactly for who he is and what he says. Is that okay? Come on, are you with me? Okay, let's look at that Second Corinthians 11. Look at verse 2. We may probably look at it from verse 1. Okay. We'll go to you. I mean, will to God, you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. Look at verse 2. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as what? A chaste virgin to Christ. What it means to say is I am not trying, I'm trying to protect what I've given to you, the faith I've given to you, the understanding I've given to you from being corrupted by those who claim to be apostles but they are false apostles. You understand that? So to be virgin means you are truly consecrated to the teachings and the mind of Christ. You are not corrupted by any religious system. That's what he's talking about. So you can go back now to that Revelation uh, 14 again. And then we see what we're looking at. Praise the Lord. So Revelation 14, look at verse 2, uh, 3, so far. Let's go to verse 3. Uh, verse 3. Say and the song that you are a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders and the men could not learn that song but the hundred and forty-four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. That's what I'm saying. They got out of the corrupted system of men. Okay, verse four. Verse four says, "These are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb who just ever goeth." These were redeemed from amongst men, being the first fruit unto God and unto the land. So that's what I'm trying to explain to you. To be a virgin means you are consecrated, you are not defiled, you are not confused, you are not messed up by religious system, by false doctrines, by things that are not God's. So Paul was saying this in the Corinthians 11, like I said, and saying, I'm trying by all means, I'm jealous when he says, I'm jealous of you. I need to present you to one husband. I don't want people to come corrupting your mind. So when men are corrupted through religious teachings and not being single unto Christ in their understanding, then they are defiled. They are defiled by women. So women, like I said, always speaks about churches. Praise the living God. Are we together? Okay. All right. Uh, and he said that they are these ones that they are redeemed from monks men and they are first fruit unto God. First fruit. Um, let's look at something about the issue of first fruit. If you can get it from the Amplified Translation, James chapter 1, verse 18. James chapter 1, verse 18. If you can get it from the Amplified Translation, fine for us. And this was said. And it was of his own free will that he gave us birth as sons by his word of truth. So that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. A sample of what he created to be consecrated to himself. How do you become a first fruit unto God? Through the word. Hallelujah. So you see, when he said 
in Revelation 14 that the 144,000 are kind of forced to return to God, you simply just understand what he's talking about. They are not corrupted, they are not defiled by the system of man. That means the understanding at heart is strictly that of Christ. They are not confused, they are not messed up by any system or religious teaching or doctrine that is not God's. That's what makes you a virgin unto God. Are you together with me? Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, there is something I need to show you. Um, praise the Lord. Uh, let me quickly look at this. Look at Psalm 104, verse 30. Psalm 104, verse 30. Look at what it says. That sent for thy spirit, they are created, and that renewed the face of the earth. You send forth your spirit, they are created. Now, don't forget, we're talking about these were not defiled by women. These are the first fruit of God's creature. So how are they created? The world by the Holy Spirit. Are you following what I'm saying here? Praise the Lord. That sent for thy spirit, they are created and they renew the face of the earth. This is the new creature. Okay, let me show you something now. Psalm 102 verse 18. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 102 verse 18. I say, this shall be written for the generation to come. And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. <laughs> are you seeing that? So who are these people? How are they created? They are created through the world by well, the Holy Spirit. Psalm 104, you send forth your spirit, they are created. You renew the face of the earth. Now the 144,000 are new creatures, not defied by the system of man. That means they are led by the Holy Spirit, and the word of God that you receive is pure word, that is not corrupted by the system of man. Are you following that? Now I'm trying to define for you the simple graphic illustration of who the dead in Christ are. The 144,000 are typical example of who the dead in Christ are. They are not defied by man. They are not corrupted by the system of man. They are staying on with what God teaches, what God says, and they walk by the Spirit of God. So, you send forth your spirit, they are created. And those that shall be created shall praise the Lord. Alright. Now, let's look at the book of First Peter 2 verse 9. We see the look with the first fruit, the one forty four thousand. First Peter two verse nine. But you are what? A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show for the praises of him. That's the point I want you to note. Who has called you out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. Now, Psalm one o two says, The people that shall be created shall do what? Praise the Lord. And here the scripture is saying you are a chosen generation and God called you to become a praise unto him where? On the earth. So it's actually talking about the Christian community. The one body four thousand is talking about the Christian community. It's not talking about some people that are uniquely picked out of Israel or Jewish nation. No, that's not what he's talking about. Praise the living God. Are you there? So we find that the first fruit of his creature, the 144,000, are being created through the word of truth. 
which is the life of God that is becoming the life of man. Let's look at John 1 verse 4. Now do you see what I mean? Praise the Lord. John 1 verse 4 is about in him we have life and the life was what? The light of man. So we have people now who have the life of God and this life is God's life himself. Praise the Lord. Now, don't, don't forget this key fact about the new creature, man. They are better by the word of truth as influenced by the Holy Spirit. They are not corrupted by any system. They are not swayed away from the truth that God is given. Men who are in this camp know the voice and hear the voice of the Lord. And the Bible tells me that the voice of stranger they will not follow. Many these people have been able to come to the place that when men are speaking or men are speaking, they know that this is man and this is not God. They know the voice of God, which is Christ. And say so the voice of stranger they will not follow. That's what it means that they are never corrupted, they are not defiled. By the system of man. You following me? Praise the Lord. Okay. So, and this light will become the light of man, like I said before. Now, this is very important if we need to deal with this. You see? And the Bible talks about the light that shines into darkness, and the darkness cannot do what? Comprehend it. Same light. Now, the key point you need to note about the passage is if the light cannot be comprehended by the system of man or by anything else. What he's trying to say is this. Even that which you call the devil cannot overtake the light that is in you. It can't. In other words, you can't be deceived. Because you have to understand that the strongest weapon, in fact, the only weapon that the devil has is that of deception. The devil that deceived the whole world. Is that okay? And he started from the garden. But this light cannot be comprehended. What that means is the devil does not even understand it and the devil cannot overtake it. The devil cannot swallow it. There is no lie that the devil brings away that can overcome the light of the knowledge of truth that is in your life. That's the quality of the 144,000. You can't be deceived. Are you with me? And so I'm saying, these are the people that are dead in Christ. They are totally swallowed up by the light and the truth of God's word. They're living their life based on the truth that God brings forth. They're living their life based on the influence of the Holy Spirit. Not anything, not anything that man brings, not anything that religion brings. They are pure, consecrated unto Lord with one eye, single eye. They are not deceived, they are not intimidated because they have the light which become the light of man. And this is why it was not possible for Adam to be deceived. Because Adam had the light. And so the devil knew he cannot overcome the light. He had to go to Eve. I have explained that several times. Remember that? He had to go to Eve. And so Paul writing to Timothy said, Adam was not in the transgression, but Eve was. And so because the light cannot be comprehended by Satan. So if you truly have the light in you, the Satan cannot deceive you. That's what I'm saying. You understand that? So we know that Adam willingly walked out of the garden because he has to be in love with the wife. And I told you the mystery why they have to walk out of the garden with the wife because 
If Adam have not partaken of the fall of Eve, Christ will not partake of the fall of the church to redeem the church. You understand that? That's the mystery. You find out in Ephesians 5. So I'll show you a mystery for I speak of Christ and the church. But he was talking about man and woman. So Adam have to willingly submit to the fall of Eve so that Christ can die for the church. Otherwise the devil have no power to overcome Adam. Can I hear an amen? And so when you come to this place of light and power, the devil have no power, no influence over you because darkness cannot comprehend this light. These are the one for the four thousand who are truly being influenced, controlled, ruled by the world and the spirit of Christ. Nobody else can deceive them. You can't be deceived. And even as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 12, I mean 11, 2, I'm saying the same thing to you listening to me. It's my desire to present you. I'm jealous over your life that you be not deceived. Even as the devil corrupted Eve in the garden. That should be, that should be the desire of every true minister of the gospel. To ensuring that the people that are leading are not deceived. Even by that which is called messages and doctrines. Praise God. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, so the fact that um, these guys cannot be com- com- comprehend, I mean, darkness cannot comprehend the light that they have. We're talking about men now who trust him fully in the Lord and also bringing fruits unto God. And then, when we use the word, the first fruit unto God, if they are first fruit, that means there will also be a complete harvest. Are you there with me? Now, this is where people get it wrong as well. And they think when the first fruit are harvested, no more harvest is coming out of the earth anymore. No. So let me give you a scripture. First Corinthians 15. Look at 22 or 23. Are you there? Very quickly. First Corinthians 15, 22, 23. It tells us something. First Corinthians 15, 22, 23. If you can put it up, fine. It talks about, for us in Adam, all die. How many people? All. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, you know what it means to be alive? He who were dead in sin and transpired, he quickened, made alive. And as Zoe, this my son, prodigal son, was dead, but now is alive. You remember that? Yeah. In Christ all died. I mean in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Those of you are alive and remain. Can you still remember all of these things? Okay, look at verse 23. But this is the key. But every man in his own order. Christ first. You say you see you have Christ, the first fruit, afterward, they that are Christ are disappearing. Christ, part of first of the resurrection. To be followed by what? The first fruits. And then what? The rest. Are you seeing it? Come on, are we together? 
Very good. But every man in his own order. So right now we are in an order, order of the first fruit company, of the first people that have been risen or given life from the rest of humanity. So we are first fruits. But there's a full harvest that will surely come in. Are you with me? Praise the living God. When you have as a first fruit in a mango tree, it doesn't mean that the tree will no longer be other fruits. <laughs> Glory to God. Are you with me? Very good. So we are the first fruit of God creature right now. But there's going to be a full harvest that will also come in. Just like the grape harvest and the barley harvest in Palestine. That is the first fruit company and there's a full harvest that finally follows. Praise God. But we see here the Bible says, but every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ, disappearing. You see that? Okay. Praise the Lord. So therefore, to say that the dead in Christ shall rise for simply means that those whose life have been taken over by the leadership of God's spirit shall come into the place of higher glory before the rest of mankind who are still dead in sin and trespasses. That's just what it stands for. Praise the Lord. Are you with me? When you say the dead in Christ shall rise first, what he's talking about is those being controlled who have this life will come to the place of authority and prominence and glorification, if you will, before the rest of mankind. That's just what he's saying. Um, I think I'm going to need to show you some scriptures along this line. Uh, praise the Lord. Already we know Ephesians 2, reading from the 1 to 6, we, we are told by grace you are saved and we've been quickened and we are sitting together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? We've been raised in union with him. Praise the Lord. Now, if you look at Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul made a statement which is very important. Galatians 2 20. Remember I'm describing now. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Or, yeah, for me. Praise the Lord. So here you see Paul saying that the life is living. This is a quicken somebody. This is somebody who is risen. But it's not to say he's flown out of the earth. But he's already living a different life, though he's on this earth. The life I live in the flesh is no longer I that live it. But I live by the spirit of the Son of Man. Who that I live his life in me. So in all of this, Paul was simply saying that both the Jewish laws, if you take time to study, and the system of this world, carnal mindedness, can no longer demand anything from him because he's now a completely new creature. But remember, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious man. So, but what he's trying, the emphasis given here is this. My life is now being controlled by another power. Praise the living God. Are you there? Okay. Let me show you something. Revelation 14 verse 13. Revelation 14 verse 13. And the Bible says, And I have 
A voice from heaven saying unto me, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, say the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works will follow them. Those who died in the Lord. What does that mean? You died in the cemetery? No. What rest? What rest do you think is referring to? Matthew 17, 28 said, Come, all ye that labor, I will give you what? Rest. These men have died to natural labor. They've died to religious system. Come unto me, ye that labor, and I'll give you rest. He said that. So those who died in the Lord right now, what is that supposed to mean? They are no longer being influenced, being controlled by religious system. They are no longer being burdened by laws and duties being imposed by religious system. They will rest in Christ, who is our rest. Are you there with me? This is the new company of people. Henceforth, from this now on, because they belong to Christ, they will rest, cease from human effort and religious religious effort. Look at Hebrews 4 verse 12, verse 10. Hebrews 4 verse 10. That's a very powerful scripture there. And when the time was there, take Hebrews 4. Book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10. Praise the living God. Now I want you to catch it because it's very important. For he that is entered into his rest, listen, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from what? From his. Did you get that? Very good. So this is what he mean by those who died in Christ have ceased from their own labor. For he that has entered into his rest. And who is, what, what, what's supposed to be our rest now? Christ is. Matthew eleven twenty eight. You are in Christ. You cease. Hallelujah. From your own labor. Is it making sense to you? So this is why you read now in Revelation 14 verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord for henceforth now. Yea, see the spirit that they may rest from what? Their labors. Their human efforts to please God. Their religious obligations to please God. They cease from it. Because they have entered to rest. For he that have entered into his rest must cease from his own works. Is it making sense? Good. Now I'm describing for you those who are completely dead in who? In Christ. Is that alright? So now we, we begin to have the righteousness of God in Christ instead of laboring to please God in fulfilling righteousness. We cease from our labor. In fact, Jesus' word for the people is so clear. Come unto me, ye that labor. And I do what? I'll give you rest. And so he that entered into his rest has ceased from what? From his labor. Even as God rested. <laughs> And cease from his own works. Working to please God. Struggling to please God. In Christ, you cease from all of that. Religion. Praise God. So what do we move fully now? The dead in Christ shall rise for us. The first thing for you to 
Examine here is the word rise. When you read in that first Thessalonians chapter, chapter 4 verse 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Already you beginning to understand what it means to be dead in Christ. Am I right? Okay now. So the next thing is the word rise. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now the word rise in the Greek is anistemine. And it means to stand up, to arise, to lift up, to raise up again. You can connect that to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It means to stand upright. Hallelujah. And this that's what we're looking at. Praise the living God. Now, and this is completely different from anastasis, which is the Greek word for resurrection from the dead. Anastasis speaks of resurrection from the dead. Anistemai means to arise. The word used here was not anastasis. The word used is anistemai. If we are discovering resurrection from the grave, it will use anastasis. Are you getting what I'm talking about? If that is what he was talking about, now get this point, right? It's high above and now First Corinthians. Now First Corinthians. I mean First Corinthians. I mean First Thessalonians. For we're looking at sixteen. So let's go back to sixteen. First Thessalonians. First sixteen. The dead in Christ arise first. Now I'm going to say the word first. This word rise first. The word rise is anistemine. Now, anistemai is not used for resurrection. Is that alright? So, resurrection is anastasis. But the word used here is anistemai, which means to stand up, to be alive, to arise, to be lifted up. But that is not dealing with resurrection. So I'm going to explain to you what it means to arise. Praise the Lord. Now, the Hebrew equivalent of the word arise can be found in Daniel chapter 7 verse 24. Let's look at it. The word arise in the Greek is anistemai, and the Hebrew equivalent of that word is quam. Q-U-W-M. Or you can say kum. That is the word to arise. Now, it's not talking about resurrection. Get it right. It's not dealing with that. Okay, Daniel 7 verse 24. The Bible says, and then, uh, I'm going to start from here. Uh, go back, I don't know, but let me just take it. You take time to read the whole of Daniel chapter 7 down to this passage. But here it verse says, said, The ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall rise after them. And he shall be delivered from the first and he shall subdue three kings. So I want to use the word rise and arise. What does that mean? To come to the place of power. Simple. That is the word anistemai. But in the Hebrew is kum. Q-U-W-M. So when a king arises, you know what that means? The king comes to the throne. Is that okay? 
Come on, are you following me? Very good. And when a king comes to the throne, he comes to the place of power. So this verse simply tells us that another king shall succeed or come into place or stand up in the position of the previous ten kings. If it is time to read the whole passage. Is that okay? Very good. And that is what it means to do what? To rise or to arise. Let's go again to Daniel chapter 11. Let's look at Daniel 11 verse 1 to 4 very quickly. I want to show you what it means to arise. When he said the dead in Christ shall arise first. Or shall rise first. Okay. Also in the fifth year of Darius the Medes, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up. Watch that. So what will you put in that place? Rise. <laughs> they shall stand up here three kings in Persia. And the fourth shall be far richer. You're using the... Can you get out of the King James, please? So that we can follow the, the world. Let's look at King James. Okay. And now we show you the, the truth. Behold, three more kings we arise. That's the point. That's what I want you to see. In Persia. And in the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength... Through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Go to the next verse. Then a mighty king shall do what? Arise. Who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. Go to verse 4. And when he has arisen, <laughs> his kingdom shall be broken up and divided down what? The four wings of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion, with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted even for all the beside these. So, can you see the meaning of the word arise? Arise means the king is coming to the place of power. So when you say, the dead in Christ shall rise first. What do you think he's talking about? The dead in Christ shall come to the place of power and dominion and authority before the rest of mankind. Praise God. Did you follow that? Praise the Lord. So, this is just what he's talking about. I want you to take time to read that more yourself. Three more kings which appear shall arise. If you look at it from the NIV, or like the King James, I mean the Amplify, he says, um, they shall arise three more kings in Persia. Then we look at from NIV, he says, three more kings will appear in Persia. So, the word appear is something as arise or stand up. Praise the Lord. So, it simply means three more kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth. Then a mighty king will rise in Greeks. That's the way it is in the Jerusalem Bible translation. Another simple translation. So from the above passage we can see that it becomes very clear to us. That to rise means to take over the reign of power from a previous ruler or authority. And not just the question of coming out of the graveyard. When John saw this in a vision, for instance, let's go back again to um, Revelation 13 verse 1. Revelation 13 verse 1. Look at what it says. John saw this. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, 
and saw a beast did what? Rise out of the sea, having seven horns and ten horns, seven heads and ten horns, and upon his head ten crowns, and upon his head the names of what? Blasphemy. Is that okay? John saw it. Now he was not talking of a beast getting resurrected, but a political government rising to take over power. So when we talk of rising, it is a matter of coming into the realm of dominion and authority that must be exercised by him who has so risen. Is it clear? Praise the living God. So here he was saying, I saw another beast. It's a political government, a system of power that was going to arise again. To have power, have dominion, have influence. So when we say the dead in Christ shall rise first, we're talking about the people, a company of the first fruit people that are rising on the face of the earth today to demonstrate the power and the glory of God before the rest of humanity. One of the ways by which you have even risen is that now you can live the life of Christ so much so that other people will see you and be wondering how is it that you are able to do what you are doing. Because you have risen. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? So, when the trumpet just sound, the dead in Christ shall rise false. He's not talking about people coming out of the cemetery when the trumpet sound. <laughs> Glory to God. So he's talking about the message that quickens his people and bring them to the place of power and dominion. As you begin to receive what God is saying through the voice of the Spirit of God, there is the elevation that is taking place in your life. There is, there is a quickening that is taking place within your being. It's not only affecting your spirit, it's even penetrating down, not just to your soul, it's affecting even your physical body. There's a resurrection taking place in your life. Praise the living God. You are being shifted from one level to another level. There's a quickening taking place in your life. In fact, one of the definition of resurrection and next anastasis is a moral recovery of spiritual truth. That's one of the definition of the word resurrection, anastasis. Moral recovery of spiritual truth. When understanding begins to come to you, resurrection takes place in your life. Now you know what I'm talking about. Now you cannot just read that scripture and say the dead in Christ shall rise false and you are thinking about people in the cemetery. You know from this hour, he's talking about you who is a true follower of Jesus Christ that the power is coming to you and you'll be able to stand to the place of dominion and authority. You will have dominion, you will rule before the rest of mankind. Praise the living God. Are we together? Now let me show you something. Let me show you something. In Hebrew chapter 7 verse number verse number 11. Hebrews 7 11. Let me show you exactly what I'm talking about. How to rise. Now it's talking about the priesthood of, of, of Levi and then uh, Melchizedek. The Bible says, if therefore perfection whereby the Levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should do what? Rise. After the order of what? Melchizedek. And not be called after the order of Aaron. You see the word rise there? That means something else came into place. Something else came into prominence. Something else came into power. A higher authority was established. That what means to rise. So the dead in Christ arise first means these people are moving to a higher place of authority and dominion first before the rest of mankind. 
Resurrection, like I told you in First Corinthians 15, 20, 22, 23, talks about Christ, then the first fruit, and then the rest are disappearing. So we have to understand the principle. Praise the living God. Did it make sense? Amen. So we have here the Melchizedek have to rise for the priesthood being changed. The Bible tells us then that of the also the change of the law. Praise the Lord. So you see, to arise means a change of order. Therefore, for the dead in Christ to rise first simply means that those who have received the seed of the life of Christ indwelling, according to Colossians one twenty seven, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is that okay? And are dead to sin. Romans six verse two. Living a holy and a righteous life will be empowered and raised into a higher life of the very image of Christ first before the rest of humanity are brought in. Praise the living God. Are we together? You follow what I'm doing here? That's the point. That's what it means for the dead in Christ to do what? To rise first. They come to the place of power. They come to the place of dominion. So, this first fruit company are being moved into the priesthood ministry of Melchizedek in the order of what? An endless life. Like, look at it, Hebrew chapter 6 verse 7. I mean, Hebrew 7 verse 16. Hebrew 7 16. Hebrew 7 16. Praise the Lord. <sighs> you see, we have Melchizedek, we have ironic uh, uh, ministry, the Bible talks about, in terms of Melchizedek, he said, "Was made not after the law of Kana commandment, but after the power of what? An endless life. Can you get that? So we are moving from the realm of the natural into the realm and the system of the endless life. Because you see, if the lamb is the high priest here referred to as Melchizedek, and it's on Mount Zion, and the one forty-four thousand speaks of the first fruit that are accompanying he who is Mount Zion, and is in the order of an endless life. You've also moved into the order fault, an endless life. That's how we've risen. We've risen from the earthly realm. We have risen from the natural realm. We have risen from the Adamic state of life into a new order, which is the order of Melchizedek. Of an endless life. As we continue to hear the voice of the Son within, calling our being into a higher ground to rule and reign in the kingdom of our Father. Let me just read the scripture and they will close for tonight. Matthew 13, verse 42. Matthew 13, verse 42. 43. Let's take, okay, 42. Then shall the righteous now you know the parable anyway of the wheat and tars. Is that okay? Right. So when the tars don't forget the false, that is where people also get it wrong. If you read the picture or the story of this this parable in particular of the wheat and tars, the first to be gathered are the tars, not the wheat. So now, if the Taz speaks of evil people, are you there with me? Then, completely what we are taught, that when Jesus comes, the righteous will go, is completely wrong. 
Because the first people to be gathered are the tars. Who are the tars? The wicked ones. So if you think the rapture is coming to pick up a people first and leave the other people, that means the first people to be picked away are the wicked ones. No, that's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> is it making sense to you? The, the towns are the first to be gathered and then the wheat will be gathered into man. First of all, he said the towns will be gathered and burnt. And then the wheat will be gathered where? Into man. You, you, am I correct? You following what I'm saying? So if this is the rapture, so what happened? It means the people that are going to be raptured are the wicked ones. That's what the church is teaching us. Very much contrary to what God's word. You see that? Okay, look at the next thing here. It says, Then shall, when this separation takes place, or have taken place, then shall the righteous shine forth, as what? Of the sun, in where? In the kingdom of their father. Who had ear to hear, let him do what? Let him hear. On your personal level, you are also an embodiment of the wheat and tears. There have to be a separation in your system for you to arise. Your wrong mindset, your attitude, your carnal nature, there have to be a separation. Huh? Come on, are you there with me? Okay, I'll take this. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let's go to Malaika. Let me show you something book of Malaika. Chapter 4. Let me show you Malaika chapter 4. This is what a fire does. Verse 1. Malachi chapter 4, let's look at verse 1. Let's see. Um, is that what I'm looking for now? Okay, go back to chapter... Let's look at chapter 3, if that's what I want, very quickly. Let me just quickly look at that. Malachi 3, that is not even 1. Go to Malachi 2. I'm saying verse 1. You are giving me verse 18. No wonder you're just confusing me. My goodness. Malaika, go to chapter 3, verse 1. This is what I'm looking for. You are giving me verse 18. <laughs> Glory to God. Listen, before I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way, give me King James. Behold, I send my messenger. And he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, see the Lord of hosts. Watch this. Two messengers are mentioned here. The first messenger is John the Baptist. The messenger of the covenant is Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Go to verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he shall appear? For it's like a refiner's fire and like if and what? A Lord of soul. King James, please. He said, And he shall sit, you listen closely, as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. Who are the Levites? The priesthood. And punch them as gold and silver. So that what happens? That they may offer unto the Lord. What? An offering in righteousness. Get it right. 
So the purpose of the God's fire in your life is to purge you. That you may offer up a sacrifice of what? Righteousness. Same thing you find with the harvesting of the tares and the wheat. After which they will begin to shine forth in the kingdom of their father. Did you get that? Praise the living God. So this is the point. So when we talk about the dead in Christ, we're talking about the people who have been completely swallowed up by the life, the power, and the spirit of God. The thoughts of God is one controlling them. The mind of God is what they are after. The teachings of Christ is what they stand for. The truth of God is what their life is all about. They will never be allowed to be defied by the system and the religious of men. They just stand for the truth. The Bible said they are following Christ wherever he goeth. In other words, he is the one leading them. Revelation says, he is the light that is in this city. For this city have no need of the sun. For the lamb is the light thereof. What that means is, your understanding is produced by the lamb that is within you. And these are the people who are dead in Christ that shall rise forth meaning they come to the place of power and dominion and like I said we enter into the realm of the endless life because the one we are following who is the lamb is already in the order of an endless life praise the living God God bless you and I'll see you next week thank you